Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. How are you guys? I am so excited today because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite things to discuss, and that is eating. (laughs) We all love to eat, don't we? And we need to eat. I feel like discussing food is one of those common topics that we can all find a grounding in and know that we can connect on. This topic today may seem, I feel like this idea of seasonal eating has all of a sudden become this like trendy keyword and I fear that it's becoming a diet concept which is always concerning to me because it's not really that. Today we're kind of doing the beginning of what this conversation is about seasonal eating, eating that way, eating with the rhythms, the natural world. And this idea is not new. It's just now we have to purposely like chase it and we have to look for it, which is kind of a crazy thing. So we're going to talk about that. But what I want to begin this conversation with is just a reminder that we're just starting this here. You know, my hope is that when you walk away today, you aren't feeling like you need to rethink everything that you're doing. I don't think that that's ever right. I I think my hope is, is that you start looking at the rhythms in your day and in your family in a new way. And we, I want to bring up this conversation in the middle of winter, not because this is when we necessarily like start seasonal eating, which we kind of do. But what I want to do with this is that in the winter, it's a great time to contemplate things. It's a great time to look at how we even perceive the coming of the new year. And yeah, it's February, but we still have, you know, 11 and a half months of this year. And so we can still, we're still at the beginning stages of deciding what this year will entail. That said, that's why I want to talk about this because this is when we can start observing our rhythms so that we can make a change in our year and choose what that change looks like for ourselves. And I also want you to know that I am all about the tiny steps. I don't believe that big, 
whooping changes can make a long lasting change in any way. And this is true in nature. I mean, it takes years for something to establish itself. And so to believe that we can just, it's not even healthy for land to be, you know, totally ransacked and then completely <laughs> rebuilt. Like it doesn't always work that way. Instead, it happens in this slow, tiny motion. And so I take that as also my guide to how I approach things like this, that feel like such a big change, especially as a mom. You know, we find these rhythms as parents that we're just kind of like, okay, this is how it works. And we're just trying to like raise these kids. And this is true. It can feel really hard to make those changes as parents, but I believe that we can do tiny things really well over the course of years and tiny things begin to add up into really big things. You know, you think about tossing a tiny pebble into a lake and you start seeing it ripple and ripple and ripple and ripple out. And as the ripples grow, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's how I think about both when we talk about these topics, such as anything like eco living or zero waste living or food in a new way. I'm not trying to have these conversations to make you feel like you need to make a big change. I'm having these conversations to help you start analyzing where you can make teeny tiny changes that over time become really big things. I believe in some way that our generation, this generation that we're in right now, whether you're millennial, Gen Z, whatever you are, we are in a time period where these tiny changes are going to shift the course of where we've been coming to with tiny changes. We're going to shift it in a new way. And so we're a part of that. To see yourself as that, I think is a really important piece in the greater picture of our, our impact on the world because we also have the impact on the people around us and the children that we're raising. And so my hope is, is that I didn't grow up with composting, but through these tiny changes that we've made in our lives as parents, my son now knows that this is what I do and he will live that way. That's my hope is, is that this tiny shift in the conversation in his day to day, even if it wasn't something I grew up with, makes a longer impact down the road. So I think we have to look at things that way and I want to take the, the pressure out of it. There's so much pressure on us as parents, particularly now in a pandemic, we can sometimes feel like we're hanging by a thread, that these ideas can feel like one more thing that we're responsible for in a parenting generation that feels nearly impossible. So there's so many things on our shoulders. So I don't want you to feel like this is a conversation to make you feel like you're not doing enough. Instead, I just want you to be able to contemplate and sit and think about the greater picture of the tiny things we can do. And the tiny things can be really big things like I said, over time. And you have to analyze the impact that it makes on your children's perception of the world, which I think makes even greater impact in the greater good. And we all choose the things that we decide to do. If this is not the right thing for you, that is okay. But maybe you know somebody it is and you can start, you can share this conversation to help them figure that out. Or there's lots of ways you can do it. So I just don't want you to feel like you have to take the world on your shoulders because you don't. And my goal is just to open up these conversations and we choose what way is the best way for us to find our way back to nature. That's what this conversation is about. This space is all about just figuring out what's right for us. And it is not about shame. It is not about guilt. It is not about any of that. There's so much of that out there in the world. I am not here to do that with you. <laughs> so I want to have an open conversation where there is no bad question. There's no judgment. It is an open space to ask anything and to be whoever you are so that we can all change as we feel it is natural to who we are. With that said, I am going to define with you today what is seasonal eating. It's kind of a funny topic, but I want to define it 
And then I want to tell you why we should care about it. And then I'm going to talk about it as a parent because there was a lot of questions when I asked on Instagram, most of them pertain to parenting. And so I'm just going to tell you I have gone through that journey as a parent. And then finally, there are some questions that you guys had that were really good that didn't pertain to parenting that I also want to discuss. So that's kind of the breakdown for today. And at the end, I will also be sharing who our next interview guests will be for our garden tour, who I'm very excited about. In series, we have some amazing garden tour guests, and I think you're going to enjoy our next one as well. So let's get going. So what is seasonal eating? This is a very big question, I feel like, but it's also not as complicated as it may seem. So seasonal eating is when we decide that we are going to pay attention to the natural rhythms of what nature offers us in the season in which everything grows. So every single vegetable, every single fruit, every single grain, even meat and eggs and milk all has a rhythm and all has a season. And, but as humans over the course of time, there was a period of time in the last like 75 to hundred years where we decided as humans that we wanted to enjoy things when we wanted to enjoy things. So we had engineered and industrialized the food industry in order to meet our desires and not just our needs. And this has happened over that time. And what has happened as a result is we, we have lo- now lost touch with how these rhythms actually happen where we live, where in regions of our own countries, all over the world, there are different seasons and rhythms and how the foods work. And some cultures have preserved it and some haven't. And we in America, particularly, we have not. <laughs> so why we have to care about this now, or we have to make a purposeful notice, so to speak, we have to notice it now. We have to purposely chase it because our grocery stores now carry strawberries in the middle of January in Northern Michigan. We can get fresh tomatoes that look like the sun golds I grow in my garden in January in Northern Michigan. Where are those coming from? Who's growing those? What is the, the, (laughs) what is the impact on those, on the world? Because those things are growing so they can sit there and we have created this disconnect in, I believe a way that we believed that it was going to be a good thing. But as a result, we're now eating things out of season, which, which affects both our health and it affects the greater health of the world. It also, we've lost touch with the beauty of these plants that they actually hold. And so there's multi layers of this concept of what seasonal eating is. You can chase seasonal eating, particularly locally, and you can also chase it globally in the sense that you can also understand that like avocados have a season even though they don't grow in northern Michigan we can still access them in a peak period where they grow at their peak ripeness now when an avocado or a banana or anything like that comes to us they are not harvested in a way that allows us to enjoy them for what they really are and I'm not saying that it's wrong to eat those things we have those in our home but I think it's coming back first to the understanding of how these things get to us. And that's what seasonal eating is really about. Is it's about having a deeper understanding of our food system and how these natural things are arriving in our home. That's the first step in it. We're going to dive deeper into this in this conversation a little bit, and we'll go even deeper in other episodes. But in this episode in particular, I want you to understand that the 
base of it is just that beginning understanding that like your to where did that tomato that is in the grocery store or your co-op or whatever it may be and where you live that how did it land there where did it come from in order to be there you know so that is the very beginning and when is the right season in your vicinity meaning like within 200 to 300 miles of your home what is the season that a tomato should be on your shelf we just start there and we'll talk about how to understand that resources for that here in just a little bit but I also want to discuss why it's so important to start understanding this because I think a lot of times we look at seasonal eating as this like lofty idea that you know it feels a little bit like this is something that is a privilege but really like Mike said one night he said you know it's actually a privilege that we can access tomatoes year-round and I hadn't thought about that I loved that I was like it is a privilege it is a privilege that we can get these things you know year-round and that I think it costs a lot of money to get things year round. And we always think that that is actually cheaper, but I'm here to tell you, and we'll talk about this in another episode, the cost of seasonal and local eating. I plan to do an episode on that as we get a little bit closer to when signups for CSAs and farm markets open up. I want to talk about how to make this affordable because it can be affordable. And in fact, this was how seasonal eating was actually the way that most Americans in the, in still much of the world eats. They eat with these rhythms and it's out of a sense of survival survival that we do it. You know, we make the most out of something when it's available to us. It is now a more privileged situation to be able to walk into a grocery store and get whatever we want, whenever we want it, no matter the season. So that's what I'm saying. And, and I think when we talk about seasonal eating, we have to also understand that this is honoring the greater picture of the natural world. The natural world has provided us something and this is our opportunity to connect to it. But let's also talk about the environmental impacts here, because I think as parents, Parents, we think that there's so many things we need to do, you know, how do we become zero waste? How do we learn to compost? How, you know, there's all these things. And even not as a parent, you know, I think as a human right now, we're all asking these questions. So what is it that we can do on an individual level that can do the greatest good for the, you know, generations to come? And when I think about that, I think, my gosh, like the food system could save us. How we consume alone can save us. And so not just by the things we buy, that's a whole nother conversation with like material possessions. But when we talk about our food, our food is a daily need, something we constantly spend money on. It's a budget line item. It's it's constant three meals a day, at least, you know, in every household in America and in the world. And so what this can do is so huge when we start looking at the, the way that seasonal eating alone, and then we dive in even deeper and we go local, that those things can be the major shifting points in environmental impact. And that can be done on an individual level. And that to me is really powerful. And so just by switching one thing in your household can make a huge impact. And if you're really curious about this, the best book to really dive into it, and it was written in 2007, which is crazy to think about, but Barbara King Solver wrote the book Animal Vegetable Miracle, and I'll link it in the show notes. I love that book. I've read it three times now. (laughs) And she talks about some of this environmental impact, especially in the first couple chapters before she jumps into the story of how her family spent one 
one year eating like completely locally, seasonally. They didn't even have bananas in their house. Like we were talking, if it didn't come within a hundred miles of their home, they didn't eat it. And they would drive places to get food. And it is a fascinating story to read and to understand and to really dive into because you see the struggles and the beautiful things that seasonal eating and local eating can do. It's incredible. So I highly suggest that book. If this is like resonating with you and you just want to start exploring this, pick that book up. It's an enjoyable read no matter what, because it's a story of how they do it. And it's not just facts. The beginning is, but the rest of the book isn't. And it's it's just such a great story. And this is so important when we talk about environmental impact is I'm just going to like, we're just going to talk about strawberries for a minute. We love strawberries in our house. Strawberries are a huge topic of conversation year round. And that is because I have a five-year-old and what five-year-old doesn't love strawberries. We grow them in our garden, but we don't have this like prolific gardening of strawberries. Strawberries are a very interesting plant. They have a really one strong year of production and then they go through this runner year. They go through this blossoming year. They are a three-year perennial and they're a very interesting plant to begin with. So then let's talk about their seasonality. Well, here in Northern Michigan, strawberries are usually picked in June. The here on our peninsula that we live on, and I want to also note that like where we live, this idea of seasonality is very much a huge part of culture here. It almost everyone around me is, I guess, pursuing this. So I live in a specific way amongst people who also do and are pursuing this and valuing this. And I think that makes a huge impact on the ease of something like this. And I, that that does not go over my head. I want you guys to know that. But people here very much value strawberry season. It's like the beginning of summer. It's like this moment where we start the berry season and it's like a celebration almost. Like I think there's actually a strawberry festival up here. There's a festival for almost every vegetable. So I am almost certain that there is. But when strawberry season arrives, the orders go into all the local farms. Like I put in an order for a flat or two of strawberries and I have a farm that I get them from and they pick them all for me. And then we process them. We eat some fresh and then we process them, put them in the freezer. We make jam and it's like a weekend project. You have to do it when they arrive because they're so tender. And the moment you wash them, they need to be eaten pretty much. So it's, it's this thing. It's a moment in time. And we talk about it. Hayes knows about it. And he sits there since he was three years old, picking them out of the bushels as fast as he could eat them while I was trying to put them in, in make jam and freeze them and everything. And I grew up with this as well. It's a unique idea, but because of this, we also, when we think about that, we also don't eat strawberries. Strawberries are one of the things we do not eat year round. We, if we eat them year round, they're coming out of our freezer or they're in the form of jam and that's it. They're eaten fresh in very three to four week period. We get completely sick of strawberries and then they're replaced by Saskatoons and blueberries and all the other berries as we go through. Why I tell you that is like, that's the seasonality of what it is like for us. It's probably similar, but slightly adjusted in the time of year for wherever you live. For instance, in Florida, maybe that is in March or February. I'm not 100% certain, but I would assume it's sometime in there. So these seasons exist. Strawberries do not grow year round. And if you are finding them year round that way, how they're doing that is they are plowing fields, clearing the field, eliminating all native plants. And then they're putting in these strawberry bushes or plants that then they're cultivating to do exactly what they want for production, for industry, for all of that. And they plant them in 
stages. So there's like one acre that's just for this month. Another acre will be harvested this month. Like they're literally done that way in a huge monoculture, acres and acres. And then they go back through and they rip the plant out and do it again to provide them to be basically producing <laughs> constantly, even though these plants work on a three-year cycle. And every farm is a little different in how they do that. And, but when you think about that, that's like a mass farm. That's how they're showing up in your freezer, in your grocery store every single day. That's how they're sitting there. And I will tell you the difference between that strawberry that you're getting out of those fields that have been monocultured and everything versus the ones I'm getting from my local farm, that amongst those strawberries, there is milkweed growing and all these native grasses and other vegetables and flowers all around them. The flavors are undeniably different and the amount of nutrients within them are undeniably different. So not only are we talking about this being better for you, it's also better like nutrient wise, like you're getting a density in these vegetables and fruits by thinking seasonally. You're also thinking about the environment in the sense that when we clear a field of all the things that were there, we degrade the soil, we create carbon, the ability for carbon drawdown to happen is so much harder on the soil and the soil does so much of that for us. There's tons of research on this. It, It just creates this world that isn't conducive to what the plant is actually meant to do and meant to be as a result it's harmful to the greater atmosphere and then the soil itself is degraded because it's not receiving other nutrients from other vegetables and things like that that are growing in it like we do in our own gardens and so the the nutrients that they're getting are from artificial fertilizers or they're needing to use pesticides to bring in because they don't have the natural other plants around them that bring in other bugs that eat the bugs like it becomes this whole downward domino effect and that's even before we even talk about the shipping that's involved in sending those things to your grocery store and they're picked at like before ripeness too so they haven't even had that like beautiful glowy sunlight to ripen them perfectly to sweetness that is undeniable so you kind of get the picture And this is true of every single one of the things that sits in our kitchen. And so when we talk about seasonality, when you talk about local eating, that is why I think you need to care. And also when we talk about seasonal eating, we can also talk about waste alone. And that's a whole nother conversation, but I could do this on tomatoes and I will at some point, but it is a big thing to think about. Like when we just start tackling one vegetable and then we go down to another one, like corn, or we go to pears or apples, like we can go down the route of understanding it all. And there's plenty of YouTube channels. Like there's actually a great one that I, my son, every single time he asks, like, how does this grow? And then I go to her site and she does a wonderful job. Um, I will link it in the show notes. If you're curious to start understanding what is the process for something to grow and how does it grow? She talks about it, like what happens even in an organic situation, particularly, or in a better for the environment situation. So I think those are really helpful videos to start educating yourself which I think if you're just like, this is blowing your mind and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. I had never thought of that. This is where you begin. Like you don't have to shift anything. It's right now, just start taking it in, start educating yourself. And I think that is the first place to begin. I spent so long just trying to absorb all this and I still am. Like, I don't even know everything. There's so many, so much more to understand. And so that is why we have to care about this because it can make such a dramatic impact little by little, even if we just switch the strawberry 
boundaries in our home into that model of just focusing on when we harvest them. Those little things and how we take that abundant harvest and make the most out of it instead of expecting that it's going to be there next month when it really shouldn't. And so it's it's more honorable to the plant. It's more honorable to the earth. It's more honorable to our bodies. And so, and to the greater community because your money can be going to a local farm and who ultimately puts their money into local things and pays local taxes. And, you know, it's, it's great. It's a beautiful cycle when we just start shifting one or two things in our household and the difference it can make, impact it can make. And there's such a beautiful ritual in a home when we can start doing those things. Like my son like looks forward to that and my daughter will do the same because I did as a child. It was a magical time. And there's definitely like magic to be able to walk into the store and see those strawberries. But he... <laughs> If he does that, he always goes, yeah, but they just won't taste as good. (laughs) So it eventually makes sense to them in some way. (laughs) But now let's talk about this, though, as parents, as I'm discussing my son. Parents, it's hard sometimes, and I won't lie to you. And I think we in our household have just committed that there are things that we can do And there are things that just we have to concede on and know that there's so many other ways we're doing good. Like we're a one car household. You know, we compost every single food scrap we possibly can. We grow so much of our own food. We are planting native plants all over the acreage we live on and we're foraging food responsibly and in our woods. And, you know, we're doing all these things that sometimes I'm like, okay, if our like thing, like I give myself a lot of grace in that too, because I look at it like my kids love banana. They need banana. I have seen how bananas go from, you know, Central America to America to Northern Michigan. And it makes me want to freak out a little bit, but it also is like, this is something that my kids love and it's a time period in our life. And maybe it won't be, maybe it will be, but there are a lot of ways that we can just say, okay, this is going to be okay. Like it's fine. This is something that we're doing. And So I just don't beat myself up about all that. I try to be, and when those things come into our home, we make sure they never go bad. The banana peel is completely composted and they are never wasted. If they start going bad, we make banana bread, we put them in the freezer, we make, you know, there's all different things we do. We just are so responsible with that one thing or there's more than one thing in our household. When those things come into our home, we utilize them as responsibly as possible and we make the very most out of them in order to honor and And we do not approach or take for granted the process in which it took to arrive in our home. And we try to teach that to our children repeatedly. And I think that's the best way to handle it. If you are just like, well, I can't, my kid loves grapes. Well, that's your thing. That's cool. Like, how can you responsibly handle them coming in? You know, maybe grow them organically. Maybe, you know, there's lots of, you just start thinking about it. And like I said, this is a tiny, you can choose it from a tiny perspective and, or maybe start helping your child expand into something else or slowly but surely. But also if that's the thing, that's the thing. And that's okay too. I just want you guys to take that off your shoulders and not feel like I'm over here (laughs) not doing that because I am. But I think it's about education 
education and understanding and helping her kids understand too. And that's where we can start, where we can continue be continually be growing in that process. So give yourself grace and then continue to learn. And that's all you can do. And that's okay. That's totally okay. <laughs> so now before we go into our questions, I want to talk about how do we even start this process, Megan? Like this seems like such a big thing to tackle and I don't have a garden. I don't have space. Like how do I even do this? Well, I want you to know that even though I grew up with some of these things, like I didn't totally know how to do that either. And it was about five years ago when we moved back here and we were living on this peninsula that pokes out into the, that splits the two bays of Grand Traverse Bay here on Lake Michigan. And we were living at the very end of that peninsula. And I had to drive this road multiple times a day. And when we moved there, it was in the fall. And I started noticing it was in like October, which is a wonderful time still to be pulling in vegetables from local farms. And the whole road is farm stands. And I started all of, all of a sudden just like stopping at them, mostly out of like desire of not wanting to spend all my time walking or driving up and down this peninsula to get to the grocery store, but also because it was really affordable and these farms were, you know, selling these things. And so I started becoming aware that like our groceries were shifting all of a sudden like I was cooking based upon what came in from these local farm stands and I would just stop at them they were 10 minutes down the road 10 minutes back home instead of 30 minutes into town 30 minutes back you know so I was saving time I was saving money because I was making the use out of something that was right there and it cost me a little less because they were in an abundance and so it was this awesome win-win and then it started this curiosity in me and then that summer we lived downtown traveling city and every single Wednesday and Saturday I went to the farmer's market and I started you know I had friends that were farmers already I started volunteering on a local farm and once a week it was absolutely mind-blowing to me like I had passion for this so it was like I was already there and I was primed but I also just was like wow this is incredible this is right here this is all existing and so then I started researching more and I realized that some of the best ways to really start tackling this without a garden because there that whole year I never had my own garden. So you can volunteer on local farms. Many local farms would love that, especially during harvest seasons, like in August and September, they always need extra help. That's an awesome way if you have that time. But if you don't, there is a site called localharvest.org where you can find local farms and start and join a CSA. We'll, I have a whole blog post about what a CSA is and what that means is it's community supported agriculture. And it's an amazing way to start understanding the seasonal rhythms that happen in your own community with food. And so these farms will give you a box once a week and they're full of whatever is harvested that week. And there's all sorts of different options with mini farms. They offer different things. There's whole pantry farms that even give you dried beans and there's all sorts of different options and you just have to find what's right for you. But what's also cool is many of them also have a community element where you can meet other CSA members and they have CSA member events maybe once a month, especially in you know post-COVID times that would probably be more likely, but they're really special things because you build this community that you're sharing food with from the same field. And that's a really beautiful concept. So I love CSAs 
they're an amazing way to start that. And so we did CSAs for almost two years before our garden really got going. And we still do them sometimes in the spring. And I love it. It's so much fun. Our kids love it. It's like this big day when we pick up our box and see what's inside. <laughs> so because you never really know. Well, sometimes you do, but you don't. And that either is cool to you or really frightening. <laughs> but then the other way is just even maybe this is a good way to do it for you this year is to just visit your farmer's market once a week. It's a really fun activity. Either do it alone or do it with a friend, do it with a kid. It is such a fun way to just meander through and see what is in season for you. Take note of it. If that is still not an option, another great option is there's this website called seasonalfoodguide.org. Really awesome website. Like I said, all this is going to be in the show notes. But what I love about this site is that you can put in your state, you can put in the month and everything, and it will give you a whole list of everything to expect to be in season. And so right now it may just be the right thing for you to just start absorbing like what is the seasons of some of these things in my area. And these resources and these things are the best way to do that. So I hope that's really helpful. Like I said, all in the show notes for you to refer to in the blog post that's connected to this podcast. But I think those are the greatest places to begin this process. And even if you live in a big city like Chicago, New York, LA, there are farms that supply to big cities to do CSAs and farm markets and things like that. So you can find these things, I promise, even in big cities. And in fact, you actually might have better access to them in big cities than you would in smaller rural communities, surprisingly, because the demand and education system is there. So you're going to want that to support that. And even if you do live in a rural community, you might have to seek it out a little more, but I promise it's there too. Or (laughs) it may be a really great option to start your own garden if you live in a rural community and start um, creating your own homestead and farm stand and supplying with other people in your community, like a community farm stand or something like that. Like I said, food is a way to commune with other people and we all need more of that. Now let's tackle some of your questions because they were really, really good. And I think a lot of you are going to really love that. Love some of these things that people asked. So I, let's start. Let's see. Okay. How do I eat seasonally if I live in a small apartment and cannot grow things myself? Like I said, this is very easy to do by finding a CSA, your farmer's market, things like that, using things like localharvest.org. Those things are the best way to conquer that. And I think you will actually really enjoy it living in a small apartment because you won't have to worry about all the excess things of what it can entail to grow your own food. And there are ways to do it if you really desire to. But my suggestion, if you're really looking to eat seasonally and focus that way, is to just get a CSA. And you might actually find that it saves you money too, which is crazy to think about. How do you adapt family favorites for the seasons you are in? So I had this revelation probably in like a September <laughs> where I was, we never really meal planned. I'll be really honest with you. Um, I am not a meal planner. I have become a meal planner. <laughs> I like to fly by the seat of my pants when I am cooking and I'm the cook in the house, which drives my crazy. And, but with COVID and not wanting to go to the grocery store as much, I was like, fine, I'm going to meal plan. Well, in that process, I realized that there are family favorites that we cook weekly that we just adapt that take on anything like they can take on any vegetable any fruit like 
anything that we have fresh and local from our local farms that we get food from even this time of year. So the thing to look at is these things that are basically vehicles to carry all the different vegetables into your meals every week. So it doesn't matter what comes in maybe from your CSA, but they can always carry those things and make a beautiful meal with them. And so there are also great cookbooks, which I will put in the blog post for you guys that I suggest for you to also have on hand because they are very helpful to me. They're focused on seasons. They're focused on vegetables individually. And so you can just kind of flip through and be like, okay, I have asparagus and I'm really sick of making the same asparagus dish. What am I going to do? And these books will help create more creative things for you to do with them if you so desire. But if you need fast and simple things, the top ones that we utilize are pizza, a pasta dish, tacos. We make our own tortillas too, which is really fun for the kids. You can always make black bean red lentil burgers, and then you can top them with other things, soup and stews, pot pie in the winter. And I'm just going to like break down one of those for you, for instance. So let's talk about pizza. Okay. We always think of like the traditional pizza and that has like red sauce and it has pepperoni and cheese and basil or whatever, you know, like that's like the base pizza, right? Well, we can shift this up. And it can take on every season. So in the middle of summer, sure. Instead of like, you can sun, like bake the tomatoes so they don't, they're not as runny. You put them on there. You put some cheese from a local farm on there if you want to. And if you're really getting, you know, really fancy <laughs> and you take some basil cut from your little herb garden area, a few pots that you have on your porch, if that's all you got. And you put that on there and there tomato pizza, right? You don't even have to put the meat on there. I promise you it's delicious. It's amazing. You can put peppers. I mean, summer, it's easy to make pizza. Now let's go to fall. So now we can make a squash sauce. We have all these squashes. So you can make like a really yummy squash sauce, put some like crumbled goat cheese on top with um, some sage and you could put, let's see, some kale and arugula, like things like that on there. Then in the winter, maybe you do still have those tomatoes that are in your freezer. You can pull those, make a sauce, put them on there. And then you can put kale, you can put um, some thinly sliced potatoes, like you could get crazy, like just have fun with it. And then in the spring, you can go out like here we have wild leeks or wild garlic, and I go out and harvest them and put them with some real or spinach that has come from a local farmer, even from our own garden and some nuts and everything. And then we make our own pesto and we put that on there with some cheese and asparagus, like rib and asparagus. And there, once again, we have pizza. Now, granted, my children don't always eat that or they don't always want that, but we have a rule in our house that you try everything that's put on your plate and you don't have to eat all of it. You just have to try it. That's my rule. And so far it works. Sometimes there's bites, but... So anyways, that is just one example, but you can utilize all these different things as great vehicles to take vegetables. And so your meal planning can actually simplify because it's just taking on. You have to get creative, which isn't always fun. Maybe for some people, like my husband doesn't like doing that, but I love that. If you're not one of those people, you can meal plan. Cause one of the next questions is, is like, how do you, do you meal plan before you get the food or you get your food first and then meal plan? And I think that just depends on how you work. Like if you need to, you can kind of work off of a general idea of what, if you're going to the farmer's market every week, you can ask your farm, your farm, you can send you a list of what will be in your box 
offset week, you can kind of meal plan based upon that rhythm that they set with you or your trips to the farm market where you observed everything the week before. So it's not going to shift dramatically the next week. So you can kind of get an idea. Okay. Like there's going to be kale, there's going to be squash, there's going to be cauliflower. Okay. What can we do with like, and mushrooms? So like, what can we do that with that this week? And it's amazing how much further those vegetables go than the ones you buy at this grocery store. I cannot explain it to you. So anyways, you can do that. And it's very simple to do that. Like I said, it depends on how you function as a cook and how you think. The next question is, is how do you decide what to save from the season when it is fresh and what to enjoy now? I love this question because we have a saying in our house that you eat that thing until you're so sick of it (laughs) that you can't eat it anymore. And then that's when you save it. (laughs) So, um, that's how I know. And that's how we know. And I know it's really ambiguous and it depends on who you are. But for instance, like asparagus, like there reaches a point of like, I can't eat any more asparagus. So now we're going to pickle it and then we're going to save it so that in the fall or at Christmas, we can pull that out and eat it for a snack with a snack board or something. So that's kind of my gauge in like blueberry berries are a little bit different. I usually like go and harvest them and then I will put aside like a quarter of it for us to consume then and then put the other three quarters away. And I just kind of keep that rhythm because we'll I'll go and pick like three to four times depending on the year and how much time I have. That seems to work really well. And so I think it just kind of depends on what it is. Vegetables, I don't, tomatoes we eat and save kind of as we reach the end of the season, we do a little bit of a combo because who really gets sick of fresh tomatoes in the summer? I don't. So the next question is, is how do I best begin this transition with a little amount of time? That's a great question. And like I said, tiny step. And right now, just educate yourself. Just explore. Just get curious. Don't make any big moves. I really don't suggest it because I think it's really important to analyze what works for you and understanding your community, how things work where you live. And once you understand that, I think you can understand how to make the first move about how you want to do that. And I think in our society, it's so easy to think that we just have to constantly be in action where it's actually really important to sit back and analyze where we are and what we have in front of us before we make a move. So I'm giving you permission to just like spend a year even just analyzing, like just observing. And I think if you don't have a lot of time, just like slowly digesting that here and there. And, you know, if you have two minutes, like, and you're sitting there waiting for something like Google a local CSA in your area and start finding different farms in your area or something. And just taking it like that, just filling in those scroll times with maybe some searching times or picking up the book, Animal Vegetable Miracle and reading it on your phone or listening to it as an audiobook. Anything like that could be a really good step in the right direction. I love this question because I just had this realization the other day. How do I enjoy salad seasonally throughout the year? Yes. So salad is, it depends on where you live. We have the ability to eat fresh greens year round from farms that are literally right down the road from us, but not everybody does. With that being said, there are greens that do grow year round, such like in greenhouses. Kale is a really good example. Cabbage is almost like always coming out of storage and completely available and lasts forever in your fridge. And you can use kale, like you can make like a slaw, like we have this ongoing slaw in our house. It's like radishes and like grated radishes, grated carrots and thinly sliced cabbage with like vinegar and olive oil and salt and pepper. And like, that's it. And I put ACV in there and it's really good. And that's all we eat. We just like toss it like slaw and put it on everything. And 
that's kind of our salad most of the winter, other than the greens that we get from local farms. But if you don't have that, another great thing that we don't think about, I think, as much in Western culture as they do in Eastern culture, but fermented salad, meaning sauerkraut, kimchi, things like that, is incredibly good for you. And it is the best way to make use out of the abundance of greens and vegetables that we have during the summer. I do not make my own. I buy it, but because I have not perfected it, I've tried it and it's grown mold a couple times. So I just am like, okay, <laughs> it's not for me, but I do purchase it from a local company that does it. Um, if you're local, there's a company in Michigan called The Brinery and they do a beautiful job with their stuff. They've won many good food awards. So we eat their stuff and it's incredible. And that is many times my salad. I put it on top of everything. <laughs> so it's a great way to consume greens throughout the year. Okay, last question that I feel like is super important. And actually tomorrow I am interviewing Andrea Bemis and I'm going to present this question to her as well. And that episode will air in March. And so we'll cover this topic again. But I love this question because it's really important and it's one that I have had to contemplate and research pretty deeply myself. But I'll give a really quick answer because I kind of want to hear hers and we can actually do a whole episode on this at some point. But what is more important, eating local or organic? So the term organic, I don't want to put it in the greenwash category fully because it's not. It's still a really good gauge on practices that a farm and company does that are better for your body, but it's not as like black and white. It's very gray on what that is. And many farms that you may come across at your local local farmer's market have not been able to invest the money that it takes in order to be certified organic. They also may not agree with some of the certified organic practices that they would have to do in order to grow what they are growing. Meaning that there's some organic things that are termed organic, but the farmer may not like how they affect the soil as in long term, the water supplies, things like that. So they may not agree with that, which means that they would rather practice other things that are actually more natural and more organic and pull into that polyculture concept that wouldn't be necessarily certifiable by organic FDA standards. So you have to understand that. And so what I suggest is to focus local and ask questions. So you don't have to necessarily look for the organic symbols on every single one of the stalls. Instead, look at the things like no pesticides, like permaculture, things like that that might be things that they're advertising for how they grow. And then if their vegetables pique your interest or their fruit piques your interest, go and ask questions, like ask them, how do you grow these things? How, what are your practices? What do you believe? Like granted, I highly suggest going like early in the morning if you want to ask those questions because the farmers usually get pretty busy by like, you know, the middle of the farm market time. So make sure that you offer them a space to actually be able to answer you while they're trying to like make sales. So, and sometimes there's like one or two farmers that are there. So sometimes you can pull one aside, but get to know the farmer and those farmers show up there all year of the farmer's market. So you can start knowing that that you can invest in that person. And then you make it very clear in your community that this is of value. And so even if they aren't certified organic, their practices may be even more clean than say an organic farm. Because I actually volunteered on a farm that isn't certified organic and I learned so much about this. And I value that food for the very practices that I saw them 
go through in order to produce the food. And I understand why it costs more. And I understand all these things. So not that I'm saying organic food isn't good. Those farmers are just as qualified. It's just, it's different ways of looking at things. So if we're talking about eating local or organic, and we're not talking about the and or, (laughs) I think focus local and ask questions. So that's my suggestion. I hope all this is super helpful to you guys. And I'm always happy to answer more questions. And I hope you guys feel like, okay, now I can start doing a little more research. I can start reading some more, looking up some things, doing a little research. Don't make a big shift right now if you don't feel ready. That is absolutely okay. But if you need any help or any thoughts or anything like that, shoot me an email. I always love hearing from you guys. Next week, I cannot wait. I have Kelsey from My Simply Simple. And she and I are talking about her garden and how we have very different approaches to our gardens, but we talk about the differences and how we both have these productive gardens. She's a mother. She is trying to do all these things. She lives rurally as well outside of a city in a farmhouse. And she is very focused on eco living and seasonal eating and all of that as well. So I think you guys will really enjoy our conversation next week. So make sure that you're subscribed and that you're leaving any reviews that you have. I love hearing from you guys. It means a lot. So thank you so much for the support and I'll see you guys out there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.